3: In 1992, the Digging in the Crates crew was formed, uh, and with that, the legendary Buck Wild joins me in the studio today on the library with Tim Reinegill. Thank you for being here.
2: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.
3: Okay, so I was, so uh, part of why I've started this podcast, I grew up in Washington Heights, I went to school in East Harlem, and at the age of 13, it was I, I, when I was 13, it was 1992. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in hip-hop that was going around that was cool sounding for me but maybe just didn't really realize what was happening at the time, the importance of
2: this. Um, well, so... l- looking at like those years, 93, 94, 95, if you had a tree, that would be the trunk of hip-hop right mm. there because from that, everything was formed. Anything that you want, even the stuff that they have now, the, the Trap Sound, it was formed even from that, mm. from what was going on in 1993, 4, 5, etc. So what made you guys...
3: In 1992, what made you guys want to become like this, this kind of collective?
2: Well, I came around in 93 as a DJ um, through Finesse. And they were already making records. Like, Show had the Soul Clap V.P. that he pressed up himself. And Diamond had his own deal. But um, initially, they all knew each other. They're all from the same um, area, the same projects, Forest Houses. Mm. And um, Joe. Uh, um, so... And I want to talk about your music and, you know,
3: what you, what you obviously, what you're incredible at what you do. Uh, and I was listening to kind of the, the Digging in the Crates, uh, Buckwild presents Digging in the Crates, yeah. uh, Rare Studio Masters. And I, of course, got to listen to Life's a Bitch remix number one, um, which which then had me research uh, Nas's o which then had me go into D&D Studios, one of the studios that um, Nas used, which then had me, of course, go to... Uh, Big L recording Ebonics in 1998.
2: Yeah, Uh,
3: I'm a huge fan of Big L. I have a friend who knew him, uh, and they were good friends. Uh, Tucked me into uh, a session with Big L at the time. What was like? What made him, I guess, an incredible MC artist?
2: His his personality. Hmm. Like if he if he couldn't be a rapper, he would have been a hell of a comedian. (laughs) You know, because every session it was always really comical and funny, Mm. you know, he was, it it would be times of being serious, but then it's like, it would be little episodes where something happens or he says something or he does something and it just makes everyone laugh and he does it so seriously.
3: What, um, how important is that in a session to have not just a serious person coming in as an artist, but also someone who kind of shows their human side, so to say?
2: Well, I think with an artist, personality should be a big part of who they are. Because to me, most of the artists that I work with that were lyrical, including Nas, had a a great personality on that side where it's like even the humorous side. You know, especially Jay-Z, especially Biggie, Jadakiss, everyone, almost everyone I work with that had that. Beanie Siegel, they had a real side to them is that. Mm. A lighter side where everything isn't so serious is what's going on outside our windows.
3: Mm. I want to ask you about working with artists. You, um, how important is it for you? I mean, because you've, you've worked with artists, obviously, with like OC, the, the debut albums. And you've worked with artists on, done three or four albums with. How, how important is it, or what's the major difference in terms of knowing, for you, knowing the body of work that an artist has already brought to the table when trying to, I mean, produce him or her?
2: It's just looking at that and finding what you can bring to the table. Mm. Sometimes you can be inspired by what other producers have done for them, or you can be inspired by what they've probably done, and it's like, it's up to you to try to elevate that. And that's how I always looked at it.
3: Something that, when you, when you listen to your your body of work, as you know, it's, it's you, and this is a good thing, you kind of keep it simple uh, in a way where... It's not overly produced music, uh, and you kind of had that like really hard hitting sounds. Like you know, we heard it in in Woe, we heard it in I Got a Story to Tell, we heard it in the new track with David Barris and Fat Joe, Stars Born. We've heard all you know this very hard hitting sound. Um, um,
2: I think it's to me. I look at it, you know, and it's something I learned even before I did the Biggie record. Like my man Derek, who was managing Scott Storch, he showed me some things, and he was like, hey. You know, you you got a really dope technique of where you do your beats, but it's like you're not getting no play in L.A. And in 96, 95, 96, I went to L.A. And even when I was out there, I was hanging out with, you know, Farside. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I got to hear music out there. I I got to see the different sides of music, the musicality and what they have, like their ears and what they hear. And it didn't sound like anything from here, cause when you listen to Flavor Your Air, it didn't sound like anything here in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some of big, some of Biggie records that was '95. Some of them, like even, you know, like um, Big Papa, how they would use, you know, like in between the sheets. But very rarely, it was a lot of artists who weren't getting any play. So when people talk about, like, sometimes that's their favorite producer, and it's like their records to this and their records to that sometimes you have to go to different places and see if they're playing there. Mm. And that's one thing, to me, I always wanted to have music to play everywhere. And one of the first beats I made when I came back was like the Biggie record, I Got a Story to Tell.
0: Wow. Is you that... know?
2: And for it to still be super relevant music-wise this day, like it, it shows me a big part of what I learned from someone else and going to investigate and see what it is. Even with Rob's record, whoa, it's the same thing like you can play it in a club and it's still like sort of the same reaction from 2000 um the record i did for faith i learned a lot about r b from working with babyface mm. oh, wow. i worked with babyface for like six months didn't know a thing about R&B. I learned little things from him and i just applied it to what i do
3: prior to becoming Obviously, working with Babyface and, and going to LA, what, what was your, I guess, what were you listening to, but also what did you think?
2: I listened uh, to a lot of Bomb Squad and Pete uh, Rock. So you were influenced by actual. Yeah, it's hip-hop. like you can say I, I was influenced by Bomb Squad and Molly, hands down. Unequivocally, like, I would listen to America's Most Wanted front to back, you know? Very, like, to me, it's one of the greatest albums ever. It's like, and it was necessary,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, so it was death certificate. Like, when i I tell you, when I used to work, I used to work in the supermarket, I used to work overnight. And those were two of the main albums I would take to work every night and listen to it, especially death certificate. Mm. Uh, you've, you know, you've worked with
3: underground artists, you've worked with quote-unquote commercial artists. Yeah. Um... Is there, I don't know, is there a secret to having commercial success? Like, do you approach an album, a song, saying, all right, this is going to be, this is radio play, this is radio, this is a definitely a commercial hit?
2: I, I, I think that becomes like a marriage between the two, cause look at, looking at that, um, and even like, I can take Rob record, it was good at radio for me, and even Biggie record, I think the artist brings that radio appeal. There's no such thing, I don't think it's a big secret, Primo has that too. DJ Premier has it too. You can't look at an artist and say, hey, and it's also the music. If the music is simple enough for them to have a pocket, you know, that's what I call where they can nestle in there and they could be themselves, which would give more of the artists. Um, To me, I think a lot of that's what makes it radio Mm. and radio friendly because it's like if the beat is going to be simplified anyway, most of what you're getting is the artists and their songwriting. So a lot of underground artists, they do want a radio record, but they have to understand to simplify their writing and their flow mm-hmm. and to be the next instrument inside of the beat. You know, so I can attest to working with good artists, that's what it is. And even some of the art, other artists, like, I can remember Farrell March coming to my house and playing me, Simon Says. And I'm in awe because it's like just looking at him, like, wow, you know, you took this and made it really simple. Right. He's like, yeah, you know, I really dumbed it down. You know, they said I needed something for radio. It's like, I wonder if it will work. <laughs> And we're in 2019 and it's still working. You know, So seeing these things, like, I think for a lot of us, we were always in, like, what I call scientists of sound. Because to me, it's like I never used, like, the same type of beat twice, so it's like I would always look for something different. So we would would say that, like, yo, we're scientists of sound because always looking to experiment. Mm Mm-hmm. And I always believe no artist is a bad artist. So when you look at underground dudes with people like, they probably wouldn't work with them. Right. And then you make a record and the record becomes a really great record. Like, people in New York wasn't really rocking with Funk Dubious, but I got a call from Happy and Mugs, and they were like, hey, you know, we got a job for you. We want you to remix this record. I'm like, wow, Mugs, How yeah. do I come behind that? <laughs> so I did what I thought was good. And it's like, you know, commercially, even over here, I've heard the record on mixed show here at least. I'm not gonna say it was a big radio record, but even for mix show, that's not a record they probably would've played on mix show. But everybody played my version. So looking at it, those were one of the first things that taught me Mm. because it's like, even as a producer early, I always dreamed of even seeing how Pete and Premiere and even going beyond them, Bomb Squad and everybody else had records on the radio. So that was always an aspiration to make something that everyone could love. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing Puff and them do it. Hey, let's get these records that people could love because it's like, they're not just taking a simple loop. They also have these records like the Who shotches, you know, Warning, right, right. you know, Give Me The Loop, The What, which are not commercial records, which is all underground people try to, you know, step on bad boy but right, right, Actually, yeah. and when you listen to Biggie's album, it's about 90 percent hip hop, 90 to 95, and he has two or three records that have a loop like that, maybe Juicy, right? And um, just um, the record I spoke about, um, Big Papa. Mm. Every other record is a hard record, so you can have commercial success doing it, it's just the artists and their artistry.
3: Uh, let's talk about, I mean, let's talk about uh, Black Rob's Woe, for example, right? It, it, it reached uh, Billboard's top 100 yeah. in 2000, so obviously. Helping him with his career but also yours as well i imagine uh what is what are the for you what are what are what are kind of the benefits and 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 the drawbacks of having
2: a big, big record. a big record like this one of the drawbacks is everyone wants the same record one of the good things is it opens up doors for you that you know to work with people and work on projects that people wouldn't dream. And one of the biggest things I think was LP who came to me was like, yo, you made the first bad boy record that I love. (laughs) So when you have people who aren't drawn to commercial success that are applauding you for your work, to me, I thought that was good because it was very respected by my peers. Mm -hmm. You know, so everyone loved it. So it's like, to me, I thought that was one record that I set out to do. So, and to me, I always thought that that was a great thing. It's like, you know, you hear great, the word great thrown around a lot. But I think the word great only personifies with your achievements. Mm-hmm. So to me, I look at as great. You know, right, he's yeah. one of my idols, like, time after time. Hey, Primo, can you do this? Sure, I got you. Puts the hammer down, gets to work, and makes it what it is. Like, we're great because it's like, it's not just great making a beat, but it's like, greatness comes from being able to craft the whole shebang. Right. To make this bed that an artist can lay in to create something that will be bigger than what the beat ever was. Mm. And I think a lot of artists and producers don't really understand what that is.
3: I, I have to say, a great, a great, a great artist you've worked with many uh, for a long time is OC. Yeah. Uh, what? And and you know, as a fan and, 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 and lyrics and, and and also music, it's it's. A, I think a, he's a
2: great songwriter. I mean, but it, it's something he just didn't have the commercial success. Mm-hmm. But he made great records, even for, to write "Times Up." Yeah which is a record 19 years later, you wrote a record that personified with some people, even though it was underground artists in every generation, who disliked the commercial success or whatever was going on with hip hop. You wrote a record that that stood for something, and a lot of artists don't understand when you're making records, it's not. You have to, creatively, you have to be able to write something that stands for something that everyone can get. Right. Even hearing the record, like when when Puff first heard the record, he wanted to manage OC. Yeah, so it shows then your talent as the songwriter. You can you can boast about who you are lyrically all you want, but it's like if you can't craft something that resonates with people, then that's a lot harder. And that's hard to do because you're getting different people, it's not the same person. Like lyrically, it's like it's, it's two type of MCs. It's the one who can craft a song and then the one who has the bars. All right. The one who has the bars will resonate with a with a with a smaller audience. The one who crafts the song will resonate with a larger audience and will resonate longer because if the song is great, through the years it will be people who pick up the song because that song has a piece of them in there.
3: Is is crafting a song versus just having bars? Is that something that's taught, or can you? I mean, can you learn it, or is it? more I mean, like is everyone, your, is, is your I, I, I think to...
2: it has to be learned. And it's like, and it's not even taught. Because if that was the case, it's, I think it's a certain skill that you probably have to be born with. Because every even look at Simon Says. right? For months, that's like an ABC rap. But he crafted it together so well as a songwriter because he's done a whole lot of intricate lyrical things that people, you know, they praise him for. Right. So when it came time for him to write this, and then you look at a song like, My Life, I didn't do My Life, but the song My Life, that, and um, it's a few more that he did on The Raucous where it's like... He probably was one of the go-to guys for the records that kept the lights on in the building.
1: Right, right, yeah.
2: Not the records that MC was like, oh, you heard that bar he said." No, he made the records that played on the radio, and they were getting a lot of shows for, and it personified the new ruckus. So he was one of those artists, him, Talib, and That If it was basketball, that'd be their big three. They took their time, and they were like, hey, you know what? We have to do this, but we have to show a different side of an MC. We're not just going to show you bars, but we're going to write these songs, which is going to last forever. Common Hat, one, nine, 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 yeah. you know, so it's like they tapped into something that was there and it moved the underground, it moved the needle on the underground, not just like, hey, you just got to have bars, but you got to have the bars and you got to have the song structure and you got to have these choruses and hooks. And I think it was really dope because like I said, it raised the bar, you just couldn't be a regular dude and just have these bars and a and mediocre chorus. Right. You know, they had the bars for the MCs and they had the choruses people could sing. So I think it can, it, it can be taught, but I think it's within the MC. If, it, if it's a great MC and you're really that type of MC, it's in you. Mm-hmm. Because even with flows and everything, that's that's a part of it.
3: So how does that help you? when, when, when We're working with someone like OC, uh, who's crafting a song as well. And what does that work? Being dynamic, like, I mean, are you still doing your own thing or is it just kind of working together to actually create the beat as well?
2: No, we have the beat and he has an idea. And it's very good when a person has the idea because it's like it shows the songwriter, not just the MC, right. but the songwriter. Hey, I got an idea for that. Songwriting, it has to be a certain idea. And it's like, and it, when it cuts across, like, you know, for him, you know, sometimes a lot of people don't praise him, but when you look at his body of work and his song structure and how he writes, it's pretty intricate, you know what I'm saying? And he's very, he, he it is very key for him to get his hooks the way he wanted. So the hooks always revolve around the song.
1: Right.
2: You know, the same way, you know, the earth revolves around the sun. So that's what, that's what he brings. It's like a lot of people don't really notice that. Mm. To me, I always call him a prophet because he can make a song. And it'd be something that will resonate with people in generations mm. like when we did um, word life we did a song called burn me slow I think I put that song out on it on a um, EP I had and um, a lot of people love the song
1: <laughs>
2: don't know why they didn't make the album but just looking from that point of view that shows him as a songwriter writing a song about weed and it's like right. how people absorb him and it's like and will copy his content and who he is so looking at it, it's like people be like wow i never thought of making a record about you know weed like that right. so he's the blunt he's like yo burn me slow you know drag on me as long as you can pull a shotgun yo so when you hear me like wow you know it shows metaphorically how phenom- phenomenal he is as a songwriter mm. you know and that's a true talent. A lot of a, I work with a lot of people. A lot of people can't make those, you know, whether if it was underground or commercial. You know, it's always the in your face hook, the song about something that everybody knows, but and it's still not metaphorically done right. Right. You know, so it's a skill.
3: So when you're working with artists like that, for, I mean, versus the OC, um, is there? Do you, so you do you just know that certain beats or sounds won't work for the quote-unquote commercial, I guess commercial artists, or the artist that wants to do bars versus the OCs?
2: Well, I, I think to me it's like I just try to bring something dynamically that will work in both generations still. Because, like I say, looking at the blueprint, which is DJ Premier, Premier always had records that will work in the underground and work at radio and work commercially. Right. So looking at it, and, you know, when you're young and you're coming up, you know what you want. So if you have a model, you're like, "Hey, you know what? I wanna, I wanna do what he did, because it's like his, his, it seems perfect. He did all the Gangstar records, and then did what that is, and he worked with other artists. I feel he found something, a, a skill that could transform who he is and make it more commercial. Mm-hmm. So it, it may be on a larger audience."
3: Um. No, 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 yeah, no, that, that perfectly makes perfect sense. Uh, um, and it's not this is talk about the premiere, but also let's talk about, I mean, let's just talk about being in DITC. Yeah. What, um, if someone said, hey, how has this, oh, I think it's an obvious answer, but how does this like help your career and how is this kind of...
2: It launched it. Point it? blank. Like, you know, a testing show, like my first B tape show took around, he showed to Flavor Unit and... Freddie Fox picked a bunch of beats. You know, the album came out later, but most of those beats that we sold to Freddie Fox were Big L's album. Mm. And um, even with L, L was the first, and I don't want to say guinea pig, because looking at it, that was one of the first projects of me having production on like that Mm. and and becoming the producer. Because before that, I was a, a DJ, and it's like, I would practice remixing acapellas with beats. So now L picks a few beats. We record the songs after that. We saw, well, even before then it was OC, like, you know, but I still was getting my feet wet with that. So it became a higher level when it's like, I'm saying things like, yo, you know what? They doing Nas album. So we, we have to be, and everyone's talking about Nas already. We need to make L's album comparable to Nas musically. And, you know, that's when the songs, like, for me, it was, um, Put It On. And, um, what was the other one? Um, it was from, what was the Danger Zone. Those are the two I did afterwards. And Finesse this Street Struck and MVP. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see different sides as producers and, you know, Columbia was like, hey, we love these four songs. Do you guys want some more money and go in again? And I'm like, hell yeah. And it's like, I was like, nah, you know, I like my album the way it is. And I'm like, dude, man, you got to compete with Nas. And Nas is the golden child right now. Right. The only thing that, that upset Nas was Biggie with Ready to Die. So you need, when you're an artist, like that's when I found these things out, learning even from others' mistakes. You have to have the creme de la creme. You have to, you, you have to be on top as much as you can. And it's like you have to do as much as you can. They were going in fixing Nas's album, making it what it needed to be. It was like when you got Pete Rock, Lodge Professor, DJ Premier, and Q tip. Yeah, like a whole awesome. That was like, you know, the one the the wonder team back then. Like, like, you know, like Johnny Cochran and his, you know, his (laughs) his legal team. So it's like you have to see, like, yo, you want to be able to cut through this. It's going to take something special. Only thing that was special to cut through Illmatic was ready to die because lyrically what biggie was doing painting pictures of him and his childhood and everything that's going on in the hood a lot of people resonated with that because they lived that life right so nas told different stories and it was dope for us and it was done in such a a poetical way you notice like so when you look at it like all right cool this is structured you know grammatically poetically and this over here this is done in a different light you know poetically but it has a certain realness to it, so people resonated with Big because they felt, you know, a draw to it, and they felt like, wow, you know, I can feel this, like, and that was the difference. So, even if L had music that could have been comparable, or some things we could have created a little better, I think he probably would have sold a little more mm-hmm. because Columbia was still running with the idea of Nas. Right. Right. So what I felt is like, yo, you need something to sway their opinion. To make them be like, wow, we got something else here. They cared about El, but they cared about Nas more. Right. So, uh,
3: you've worked with, I mean, obviously a ton of artists. You know, Immortal Technique being being one of them. Um, a, politi- you know, quote unquote political artist, uh, so to say. <laughs> uh, when we talk about uh, hip hop and rap music, and we talk about how it's it, it does it's used to obviously speak out against social issues. And Injustice is, and we, we hear that in the lyrics of the artist, but how... Well,
2: we you're... could take that back to P.E. Right, 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 Fight the power.
3: Of course, no, I, right, I, right. Because
2: when you make a song as simple, and the lyrics people could sing, it resonates more with them. The more controversial the the music is, like, if it's not sim- simple, simple, the harder it is, the harder it is for people to really get the point. Hmm. Like, you know, and I seen what Immortal at his show the other night, like, he's... Change some things But it's like It's still political Right But he wants a political Where it's like You could digest the music And you could sing it So it's like Let me talk to you Like a baby So you get it Right You know
3: So you So as a producer On, on, on tracks that do talk About social issues Like that Or injustices Are you
2: Your beats are, are Still the same Still the same Still the same Like the one thing I like to try to do As a producer Is to move the needle and moving the needle means like okay, I could find different sounds of different records, different instruments, and if I could do that, then that means it's going to push it, because looking at most producers even today, their main thing is to find a slow soul record, or they'll find something different that has worked for somebody else, mm. you know. So for like, for finesse, he's always been like a, a yin and yang with me, where it's like sharpen my sword, uh-huh. and you know we've done that with each other. And um, we would always look for something different. Like, oh, you know, I just found this album. It's like, even for Biggie record, oh, it's like they're playing harps. (laughs) (laughs) So looking at it, that's how you move the needle. You go away from what everyone else is doing. And hopefully someone likes what you're doing. And it's like, because people come to me like, yo, all your beats sound different. I'm like, yeah, because it's like I wanted to. I wanted to be that way. So, when I get to a certain point, like even now, what I want to do is to move the needle. I'm going to have to take it from a certain area and move it over here. And that basically is like, okay, now if you can beat this, then you can have the music back. Mm. But if you can't beat this, we're going to change the sound and you're going to be lost. And that's how we kind of did it. Mm. You know? Q tip, like it was the same thing from Q tip and them. Tribe Core Quest. Every album was different. Right. RZA came with Wu Tang. Hey, you know what? Y'all doing this nice jazzy stuff. I'm gonna take my gritty sound and I'm gonna put it here.
3: Right.
2: If you can beat this, then you can have you can have it back.
3: Do you think that's still happening today in terms of production? No,
2: I believe in today's production, a lot of people are what I would call like a Xerox machine. <laughs> Same thing with the rappers. Right. You know, if it it's the young dudes with the 808s to trap music. It's the same blueprint where, say, you take the same bed. And Ed Lover said this years ago, the music sounds like somebody just had one. If you took one pre-program and put it in every machine or every program that happens, like, hey, you know what? We're going to teach you how to make beats, but start off with this. So you take that program they have, and then you add a few sounds to it. Now you're a producer, <laughs> you know? It's not like before. Even when you look at it, if you looked at T.I. with DJ Tome, you looked at Manny Fresh with um, Cash Money, you know. Um, I forgot the guy's name who was working with rapper like him. Everyone took it and made it theirs. Right. It wasn't like, hey, you know, this is for me and my crew. This isn't for the whole state.
1: Mm.
2: Now when you have it, people get a sound, and it becomes a sound for the whole state. But not knowing if you if you move the sound or you warp it, you become looked at as greater because you're doing something everyone else isn't and can't do.
3: Yeah, I was at a a couple years ago. I was at a show, and this DJ was performing in between sets, and she was she 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 switched the song apparently, but I didn't know. But everyone like everyone else in the audience was like,
2: Oh shit, that's they amazing what the song was. And I was
3: like, Wait, what happened? Like It's the same yeah. drum
2: program. I know. The thing is, like, and I'ma say this, hip hop used to be for intelligent people because there were a lot of like back then they used to do college tours. Right. And it wasn't just about dancing. They would absorb the music and it stuck with them and it resonated. And sometimes I wonder with this, does it resonate because some people don't talk about social issues, they don't talk about anything else that has to do with anything probably other than drugs and strip clubs. So are we, what can we do in this time to move the needle? So it came to me even, like you say, working with bars, I'm working with a few other guys who are young, if I can get them to believe in something and time from working and doing what they like, after this, if I can get them to do what I like, it could help Push the needle. You know, we're older now. It's like you can't come in the game and, like, hey, you know, we're going to do this and it's going to hit.
1: Right.
2: Kids would be looking and be like, yo, what's that? I can't turn up to this. <laughs> you know, I don't understand that. Not even saying it has to be a turn up record, but it has to be at least within the bracket of something that they can understand and like. Mm. And most of the consumers are young now. And it's like a lot of people they forget, some of the older dudes. But you have to appease these people because even though you're saying you want doing what you want, but if they don't like it, you don't make no money.
3: Oh, let's talk about artists you have worked. Not each artist, but, you know, like David Bowers, Big Pun, Nas, Biggie, Method, uh, 50, Redman. You've obviously worked with the gamut of artists. Is there a...
2: I can appreciate that, too, like when I look back at it now. It's kind of crazy. If you, yeah, like yeah. I, won't, I work with Pun, I work with L, I work with Biggie, I work with Big. <laughs> it's like, it's nuts. Jay-Z, 50, Game, et cetera. So when I look at it, I'm like, if this was basketball, this would be more than an all-star team, and right. I would be the coach. Right. <laughs> you know? Like the
3: top. Uh, what is the, I don't know, is, is, is there a, I don't know, if common, commonality but like between each of these artists that make them as great as they
2: are? Songwriting. If you look, for Game the write Like Father, Like Son, it was genius. No one ever kind of did it in that way. And even when you look at some of the other songs he had, they were genius also. Same thing with 50. 50 is a hell of a songwriter. So is Jay-Z. Nas is a hell of a ly- lyrical dude pushing his pen. He writes great songs also. He writes songs to, to push the pen. His pen pushes the bar. Mm. You know. So when you look at it, a lot of these guys have that in common. Most I, I haven't really worked with a lot of simple artists where it's like their brain isn't on a level as these guys. So if this was the times now, it would be like Kendrick and J. Cole on steroids, you know? And that's what it would be. And it's like it's sad to say, but I've seen a lot of kids in this generation not really like them because they feel like it's too smart for them. Oh, man. Uh,
3: um, you know, you've done a lot of kind of incredible work, and... But I always wondered, like, if there is a... If you were a fly to wall at a studio at a certain time and a certain song or album was being created, which song or album would that kind of be to just, like, get an insight or a glimpse of how this creative process happened?
2: Good Kid, Mad City. Oh, nice.
3: Oh, nice. Wow,
2: nice. You no, know, even though it's like a new time, but they did what was kind of 90s, but they did it in a different way. And Kendrick is so dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, he... What Kendrick did also in his career, he went with different phases to be different people. You know, if you follow, like "Damn" is nothing like "Good Kid, Mad City, and then it's like I forgot the name of the other album he got with the um. It's a whole bunch of people on there, um, but it's Parliament-driven, like it's really L.A. Those are like he like I feel like he needs he 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 knows how to step out of the artist that he is like Andre 3000 and Big Boy right. and take that coat off and then become a whole new artist on another album. Hmm. You know, and Most people don't understand that. They just think rap is like, yo, you get behind the mic, you say some rhymes. If you could get a funky chorus, you made a dope record. No, you have to make the whole album. And it's like, I see Kendrick. Kendrick is the person, he embodies what was from our time. Like even looking at Outkast. Outkast is from that time too. And people, like, even though in the source wars when they was like, the South got something to say, they, like, people never understood, like, what played on the radio is not what's playing out of people's cars. So if you wasn't from New York and you went uptown and you started seeing all the cars drive by playing different albums and you heard your album maybe in 10 cars in a row, you would know that you was rocking here. But when you just listen to the radio, you can't just, you couldn't be here and just listen to the radio because you know radio is programmable. Right. So, if the program, if you if you feel you're not rocking here, the program directors aren't having you rock here, not the people. And when they did that, OutKast was heavy here. And I, I never understood. I was like, yo, these guys are crazy. <laughs> like, they, you need to have someone taking them around the city. Like, yo, let's go through, we'll start in Brooklyn and go through Queens and go to the Bronx and come down Manhattan. Right. And you can see how great you are here. You know, and, you know, even now, like, New York fucks with everybody and- that's why trap is so heavy here. Like, they're always open to what's a new sound here in New York, and all the DJs want to be the first one to break it. Right. But they forgot about New York, and that started in 2002, 3, four, something like that. After, after G-Unit, there was no more hip-hop in New York. You know? Dipset in G-Unit, that was it. That was it, yeah. You know? So I think if, if artists are a little more open-minded about certain things... They wouldn't look at it so closely under the microscope to see if they're rocking here. They wouldn't know they're rocking here. Because otherwise, when you're doing shows, how you think you have such a great turnout. They just found out it the day before and it's like, oh, you know, I need to buy enough tickets to fill the whole arena. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: My last question, Um, you know, looking at your body of work, is there a, uh, some of you, a production, credit or even something you'd produce that still kind of impresses your you, yourself to this day? Like, oh, wow, I can't believe I made that.
2: Hmm. It may be a few things, you know, even looking at it from that aspect, you know, like even from Big's record, like for it to be 20, 22 years and it's like when you put it on and it's still the same reaction.
3: Right. No, that's crazy. Rob's
2: record, same reaction. Faith record, you know, people still feel the same way about it, like an R&B record for generations. Records don't really have that much longevity, and, and being able to make records with that longevity, I've I seen a lot of my peers where it's like, they don't have that. Yo, remember that was the sh- They'd be like, yo, that was the joint then. That was the shit. Well, why is it was? Right. You know, why can't it be the shit still? And it's like, that means the record is a has-been, or the producers a has-been? So when I look at it, and people be like, yo, you know, they'll call me from different areas and different states to be like, yo, yo, they just do your record on it, and everybody went crazy. So that means it's still rocking. Right. You know, so just a whole nother generation. And, you know, to me, that's a cool thing, because to do something where it's like people really appreciate it and, and probably love it, it's like, yo, that show, that's the best appreciation that you can give someone, you know, besides the pay for the CD. Right. right. You know, so... To me, those things is like, I still can't believe it, you know? And even Time's Up to look at it like, yo, 25 years to be the record to stand for hip-hop the mm-hmm. way that we see it, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, yo, you know what? I don't like everything that's going on. What is it? What's wrong with it? Here, just listen to this record right here when you listen to this. This will tell you what's wrong with the game.
3: Incredible, yeah. So he
2: personified that for so many people. And it's like, even on social media, so many people that just give thanks for it. I'm like, wow, you know, that's incredible. Who would have thought that from being in that studio session?
3: Crazy. <laughs> uh, legendary Buckwild, of course, from the DITC crew. Uh, it's been an honor to have you on the Library with Timonica. Thank you.
2: Man, I appreciate it. Like, just to be able to shed, shed light on things that we've seen that people don't, or experiences that people don't experience anymore. Maybe to help them research or they can learn something for it, like change the culture, help fix the culture, however people may look at it. But it's a generation coming that wants to fix the culture, Mm. which I find is incredible. You know, it's a bunch of 14 through 18 year olds that are still, that listen to some of the things we do, don't love everything, but they still like what's going on now. Right, But they see like, okay what they're saying doesn't make any sense and they're like yo we need to come in and fix that or i can fix this or i want to fix that or they want to do the things that have been done even business-wise like jay and um cash money and everybody else you know hey i'm doing this but i aspire to get on a level like this guy did because he did this and i really appreciate that and i want to do it my way so people could see me as great right so i think that's incredible you know, for people to be able to look at it that way and not just look at it like, "Hey, you made some money. I wanna, you made a record about some chicks. I wanna be able to do the same thing and, you know, and baby, be, be able to exploit it the same way, Right. or exploit the fact that I made some money the same way. So, everything will be good, I think, in another five, five to seven or eight years. Nice.
3: I have to uh, bring you back in five to seven, to eight years and see if this it's. It's so cool because I
2: like even looking at it. Like, we can control that narrative too. It's just working with younger artists, mm-hmm. and also being able to show them what we know, but more importantly, to listen to them. Cause it was a time that we wanted them to listen to us, and it was during the transition of like from Bomb Squad and all those guys who was around in that time, from him passing to Nas. Right. He didn't bash Nas. He didn't. Oh, he didn't tell Nas, "Oh, what you was doing? I did that years ago, and right. I did it better than you." But this is what older people tell these cats now what you're doing ain't hip-hop, you're doing it wrong, you know, um... It's talking at them. In, anything, like, instead of being like, hey, you know, let's have a session, a writing session, maybe I could show you a little things that I know. Right, right. They'll be like, oh, this is corny, this is whack, it's like, this is... They say all type of things, but you got to remember, the only way a generation could be better is you have to put a hand in and hold their hand or teach them some things. Sure. You know, so, that's, to me, that's what I want to see. And Um, what I would like to do.
3: I said, uh, Master Ace on his uh, Brooklyn Story album, Uh, that first track, he actually, Kings, he does the whole, uh, he takes his lyrics and he actually talks about the generational gap, but he also does very well. He talks about, he's like, don't you remember our parents used to say this about us? Yeah. You know, listen to music. And now we're saying it to these kids and we have to stop that.
2: You got to stop shaking your finger at them. To work with, like they're yeah. this is this is so corny and this is so whack and this makes no sense and you're not being lyrical,
1: right?
2: Well, shit, Biggie wasn't super lyrical, right? Right. You know, he he made dope songs and he, he was clever, but he wasn't rhyming like Rakim and Nas, no, right? Or Pharrell, you know. And I think you need all of this for a balance. So it's like if you want to do that, you get someone to help teach them,
1: right?
2: Same way if we could teach bars he could be friends with some other guys and they can look at him and it can influence them. You know, so. that's how, that's how it should happen. You know? True. cause right now they definitely don't want to hear nothing from no older person <laughs> no. unless you coming in and it's like looking and it's like working with some of them that I look and I see the things they say like, yo, you different. How am I different? Yo, you not like them. You don't come in and start shaking your finger and telling us everything we doing wrong. Ah, so that's what it is. You don't want to be scolded,
3: right? Right.
2: And that's what people do sometimes. I think they scold them. Mm. Uh fuck! Wow, thank you, uh, for man. Being I the appreciate library. it. And thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate. It. I'll, I'll come back in eight years and we had a conversation. It changed. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll move the narrative and move the mountain. Yeah, and, it has you know, to. it's music. Like you don't own music, so it's like you have your own time, man. I enjoyed the time I had here. You enjoyed the same moment, yeah. so. That's what makes it, you know, really great because you have a whole bunch of people who have that movement there. Yeah. Maybe in 10, 20 years, they'll be talking the same thing about some of the music that they do now. Right. But I don't think they'll be talking about the drugs. No, I hope now, not. if we could help them with that, like, we should be, you know, kind of at least being a little role model, being able to talk to them. And it's like, you know, we're not drug counselors, but at least to help them see some of the things that they're doing wrong. Right. When you know when you see it. You just can't watch somebody with a gun run up the block and kill somebody and be like, man, I seen him run up there. He stopped and he talked to me. It's <laughs> like, you probably could have prevented it. Yeah. <laughs> right, because a lot of these
3: kids are just, I mean, some of this stuff like super talented kids. Yeah. And then it's the drug use that kind of...
2: But looking at that, I think the generation that influenced them was 2000-something with Lil Wayne and them. Mm-hmm. Even before, like the movement in Houston, they was really with that syrup. Um Philly had the syrup movement, and it's probably some other states. So if you was listening to any of these guys, you probably could be influenced by it. True. Like yo, you could be one of the people that kind of influenced them to get yo. I got that lean, you know, promethazine and cough syrup. That's crazy. You know, yeah. it's the education. So it's like if you educate them, maybe it'll be something a little different. True. But it is changing the narrative or we'll talk about something that might interest them as well, as well as that. Mm-hmm. Like yo, I did this, but I'm not telling you to do this, especially when we have people who died. Like R.I.P. Right. Pepsi. I don't know if that was the cause, but it's like I'm pretty sure he was an advocate for going out and changing these things because mm-hmm. knowing what it could do to younger people, you know. And when you do that, it's like it it, it changes. Like you know, life changes because they start looking at it and be like, all right, let me. Let me be sober for a couple of days. Right, right. Wow, you know, this is what life is like. Yes. <laughs> World, the world's <laughs>
3: different. Different. Yeah. Uh, Buckwild, thank, you.
2: thank well, you. I appreciate I, I really you guys. Appreciate you. You, like I said, when you're ready to come back, let me know.
0: Open
3: door. <laughs> Open door.
0: <laughs> stress. Pain, stress, my brain can't even rest. It's hard to maintain the pressure on my chest. Excess frustration strikes. Blood brushes my head when I come across roads with dead mics and white promoted shows. It's hard. Hey. Take charge and recap. Sure, the time sure, can never be wet. I'm pure. I insert my lifeline into the track. The energy in me
2: is a poison, but no unrevealed remedy. I'm spreading like leprosy throughout the record label. This mind me in my
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
3: Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person.